Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Monday, July the 12th, 2021. And on today's podcast, we talk college basketball with Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com. He's a college basketball analyst and college basketball writer for CBSSports.com. He's also the co-host of the Eye on College Basketball podcast, along with Gary Parrish. We talk with Matt about the current happenings in college basketball, specifically the transfer portal, how Kentucky has done in the transfer portal. We talked about NIL, what sort of effect that's going to have on college basketball and recruiting. We talked about the withdrawals from the uh, in the NBA draft, who stay, who stayed in the draft, who withdrew from the draft. Uh, we also talked about uh, we get a little preview of the upcoming 21-22 season, you know, who some of the top teams uh, are going to be and how Kentucky fits in there as well. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. My conversation with Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com. Okay, my guest on the podcast is Matt Norlander, college basketball analyst and writer for CBSSports.com. You can hear Matt and Gary Parrish on their excellent Eye on College Basketball podcast. It's a very entertaining listen. If you you haven't checked that out, I strongly encourage you to check that out. Uh, Both you guys do a great job. We've had Gary on the podcast before. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, it's my pleasure to be on with you. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, appreciate it. Middle of July, but I know the Kentucky <laughs> fan base, they're That's interested right. all the same here. So thank you so much for having me on. Today. It could be 120 degrees and college basketball could be like nine months away. It, didn't ma- it doesn't matter. People right. are going to talk college basketball, especially in Lexington, Kentucky. Let, let me start out, Matt, though, asking you about last year. How did you make it through quarantine college basketball? With the, How did that affect your job? Uh, uh, and what, what was the toughest part for you guys, for you and Gary and, and you guys trying to cover college basketball during a pandemic? Uh, I think the toughest part is normally, so uh, like your job and my job are obviously the same, but different. So normally during a season, I will go to a few different spots and it will be either to work on a feature for .com or for CBS Sports HQ and a video element and uh, getting to go to different places. Usually, by the way, that'll I'll mix in a place that's worthy of a story, but that I've never been to. So I'd say 
that was just you know, and it was a necessary part of it. We all get that, but uh, but I don't go to a, I don't go to a game every single week. I live in Connecticut, and if UConn's playing a big game or if there's one at the Garden, like I'll always dip up or dip down to do that. Um, but I'll I'll be honest, actually, the kind of inside baseball here, if you will, but the unexpected part about everything that happened during uh, during the pandemic leading up to the season through that throughout the season was since there was such an element of the unknown on a day-to-day basis because of COVID and which teams would be impacted, uh, it led to kind of as busy of a season as I've ever had because I would either get tips on things or I would hunt things down. I heard, you know, this team, this, this isn't out yet. It hasn't broken yet, but I heard this team now it's going to go into a two week pause, et cetera, et cetera. And that would be not just from coaches, but you know, sometimes administrators or, or what have you, uh, that combined with, you know, it's, it's easily forgotten about now, but I want to say from, Really, from September of 2020 until, uh, you know, the last weeks of February, there was a continual curiosity and mystery to how the NCAA tournament was going to be held and everything that surrounded that. And so from a big picture standpoint, that was also something that I was trying to track on a near weekly basis. So it was certainly an interesting season. Obviously, none of us ever want to have to go through something like this again. The pandemic still is not over, but uh, as more and more and more people thankfully get vaccinated and help us get towards some normalcy in this country, um, hopefully this upcoming season can be mostly mostly okay. Although I will say kind of tagging last season into previewing what we got here. I will say this, and this is just based off of a few conversations I've had literally in the past four or five days with other coaches. You know, there are still plenty of players that are still not yet vaccinated they just yeah. they're a little hesitant and so i actually do think and we're going to get this i think we'll probably get it more in football first and we'll see if how that impacts the basketball season but you will potentially see some teams still not just lose players but in basketball particularly like i won't say who and it's not a power conference program but i was talking to a head coach at a team just three days ago maybe four days ago and he said only two of his 13 scholarship players have been vaccinated at this point wow. and he respects their decision but he also said listen I, to me you know many of these players thankfully thankfully have not caught covid yet but at a certain level i do have concern for their health and then the impact if if we do have an outbreak like it's going to be um it's going to be troublesome and frankly a little embarrassing if we wind up having to, to cancel games in the 21-22 season when we have this vaccine available to us. So I do wonder in the college sports space if this might just become a little bit of a story that lingers. Again, football is going to have its season first and those are bigger rosters. So we wait and see on uh, on what happens on those fronts. Yeah, I mean, we saw it in uh, baseball, college baseball with what happened to NC State in the College World Series. Yep. Uh, hopefully, you know, that won't happen in football or basketball. But, uh, yeah, that that's very interesting. Uh, Matt, okay, I wanted to talk to you. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is the transfer portal. Obviously, that's a big story in college basketball. It's a big story here in Kentucky where uh, Kentucky got several players uh, through the portal. One of them last year before um, Oscar Shibway, who came in before the uh, – I mean, during the season from West Virginia, uh, the other guys they got after the season. I think there was kind of a fear. People were mentioning to me, you know, will the transfer portal just make the rich richer? Teams like Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke, uh, where um, mid-major program stars, players in mid-major programs want to move up and play for those types of programs. 
has that played out in your mind? Uh, what, what do you think of the who has benefited the most from the transfer portal? You think? I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, a direct and broad answer. I would say yes, bigger programs. But I don't think it's an exclusive thing. So uh, because, you know, what you will invariably have here is you will have smaller programs that will get the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th guy off a power conference roster who will transfer down and benefit because of that. Now, I understand that, you know, there are certain and this is an interest. This is an interesting and I do think it is a unique offseason in that. I don't think we're going to see this many names again in the transfer portal. I mean, as we speak, we're looking at 1,810 or so. I checked I checked a few days ago. We're north of 1,800 names in the transfer portal. But that is because all of these players, if they so choose, obviously have the bonus year because of the pandemic. Right. So there are actually – so the, for the 21-22 season, I think we will set the all-time record for active Division One men's basketball players in the history of the sport. I don't – you know, barring if we look up and – decade and please please no and uh, we see 372 teams at the d1 level please no more we have too many um we're never going to have more players in a men's division one than this upcoming season so with that and with this idea with a lot of these players where they've finished their degrees and they kind of have the bonus here they're like and i totally get it you know like why if i want to why would i not just try and go somewhere else experience something else get another year i'm playing you know uh you love the college experience for sure. So has it helped the bigger schools? Yeah, to an extent, it certainly has. I, I won't I won't say that it hasn't. I think that's undeniable. But I do not believe that it is this system that is inherently built to um, help the rich get richer because up until and really for the most part even continuing, uh, you know, till two, three years ago, when the portal was, you know, I remember when the portal was at 400 names and people were freaking out and we're at 1800 right now. Okay. (laughs) But, um, a lot of the players that would transfer (sighs) the impact of the fact that they were transferring, I've always felt for most players was, was overstated. Now you can truly have transfers that leave one place for another and they can make a big impact. That's undeniable. And I think with more players now, we're going to see that. I mean, right now, as we record this podcast, one of the most valuable transfers, in my opinion, in the history of college basketball is out there in Kofi Coburn, right. and Kentucky clearly is in the mix to get him, and if, if it does, then yeah, there you go. Rich get richer. But uh, that's not to say that there can't be players that are a little bit overstated, and I say this like with all due respect, and maybe this player will wind up being good next season, but like Walker Kessler – and when he got to North Carolina, was considered a much better player than is he than he is now in going to say in Auburn, a player like that, right? right? And you've got a player like Trey Mitchell out of UMass who is going to play at Texas, and he might hit. He was a solid A10 player, but we don't really we don't really quite know. And then there are kind of players that make kind of lateral decisions. Potentially, Adam Miller, who played at Illinois, he's leaving. He's going to go play at LSU. We'll have to wait and see on uh, on that kind of stuff. So, no, you don't see a situation where a guy who has played well at a power conference program is going to transfer down to a much lower school, obviously. That doesn't really happen. But I do think that the smaller schools can benefit and have benefited by having older players uh, that, choose to, that choose to transfer down and in the process – they help themselves. And one more quick lingering thought on this, John, is like 
Devin Askew reclassified late to play at Kentucky. I don't think that he wound up serving the role that was pitched to him. And so now he's going to just recalibrate his career and go play at Texas. And I think that's a great example. Now, Texas could be loaded. Uh, that Their roster situation in general is just fascinating from a national standpoint. But um, I'd ask you, he might look back in 10 years and say, you know what? Like, I don't think that I was even fully ready for what I was had at Kentucky. And then when I got to Texas and did that and this and the other, then I really developed into the player that I thought I could be. I think he has set up well to to transfer at that same level. But it doesn't mean that, you know, Texas is necessarily just uh, automatically benefiting by getting a player from Kentucky. Each situation is kind of a case-by-case basis. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. And what happens if Texas also gets Marcus Carr? Well, Devin Askew, yes. he'll be sitting behind Mark. He'll be learning from Marcus Carr. So, uh, yeah. What about what about Kentucky's halt through the transfer portal? I mentioned uh, Shibwe. They also, after the season, got uh, Kellen Grady from Davidson, Severe Wheeler from Georgia, C.J. Frederick uh, from Iowa. What do you what do you think of those players? Well, I'll start with Grady. Um, I learned something recently. Uh, Grady had no, I'm not saying that he didn't want to go at all, but I sat with uh, Bob McKillop, uh, Davidson's mm-hmm. coach at a recent recruiting event. Davidson offers no grad classes. He, Kelly Grady had no choice. He right. had to go. He had to, he had to transfer. And if you're going to transfer, well, I mean, uh, that's a, that's a heck of a place to, uh, to go to. And considering what Kentucky is obviously needing last season versus this season, He's got a really good shot. I would say this. Um, Grady has held a very good reputation for four years. Good score, solid shooter. Um, I would say he he keeps flirting with touching his ceiling at the collegiate level and not quite getting there. And I say that as knowing full well that he's a very accomplished player. So I'm interested to see if him going to Kentucky, like are we going to look up 10 games into Kentucky season and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like Grady's leading the team in scoring in like this extra year at, uh, with these surroundings and Cal coaching him and everything he learned from McKill up at Davidson. Like, is he going to explode or is he going to continue to just be, all right, quality player, good player, but maybe because of everyone that's going to surround him. I find him to be the most interesting piece on that roster, anyone transfer otherwise uh, at Kentucky. Severe Wheeler. We will have to wait and see. A um, little bit undersized, solid passer. It was a, a, probably a little bit of an afterthought in the league because of Georgia's struggles, and then nationally, uh, we just we just don't know yet. Um, I, I, I I think it's great that Cal's got all of uh, all these commits via the transfer portal, and it's certainly going to help him. Um, where Wheeler fits in, I'm not entirely certain yet. You mentioned Frederick. I guess he just had. Uh, a small um, procedure did. done, right. but he, but he should be good to go in time for the season, which is obviously big. I think he is going to be like a really nice. This is just a projection. I just I just think that he would be a, a good complementary piece. Right. I wouldn't I would you know if he if if there are two games this season where Frederick goes for more than fifteen, you'll take it. Uh, you really just want him in there to either you know. Uh, staunch the bleeding on an opponent run by hitting a good triple there or just, you know, really just be that extra weapon that if for whatever reason, one of the uh, the incoming uh, quality perimeter shooters gets into foul trouble, like you have a good backup there. That's what I would see with Frederick there. I'll be intrigued with that. And then Sheboy, I was 
so high on him his freshman season at West Virginia. I actually thought he was a top 10 freshman two years ago in the entire country. And then things just went awry uh, fairly quickly into his sophomore season. I've been told that, you know, he really wanted to expand his role, but he certainly, his game does certainly have some limitations to it, uh, whether it was him or, you know, uh, people uh, around him that were, you know, sending conflicting messages. And clearly like when you have a player that really has, that is as good as him that leaves on a team that early into a season, it's, it's not a great situation there. And so the fact that he, he left committed to Kentucky, uh, and now, you know, I'd, I'd love to know really what's happening with the Coburn recruitment and how close he is to returning to Illinois or going to Kentucky or going anywhere else, because I'm sure you've no doubt seen this, but there's this belief that like you have Shibway, right? Can you really also bring in Coburn? But if he wants to play Kentucky, you cannot tell him no. Right. Now, a lot of people tell you. You absolutely cannot play with both those guys on the floor at the same time. And if you can't play with them on the floor at the same time, Coburn is definitely a better player than Shibway. And are you just creating a little bit of an issue all over again? I don't know. Like, I do think that Cal has a really good ability. Um, at, you know, last season's just, you know, one mine after another. He has a good ability at working the locker room, at being. Uh, very direct with his players and, and getting them to to understand his vision there. I'm not saying that they couldn't both be on the roster and both play together and maybe even occasionally uh, play on the court at the same time, even though that wouldn't be my primary objective there. Shibway, I do think, whether or not Coburn is there or not, I do think that he is set up to have a really solid season. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I remember when and they're not exactly the same players, but when Reed Travis, as a grad transfer, went to Kentucky, there was a lot of excitement and hype over what Travis was going to bring. And I think ultimately, he was a good player who maybe fell short. But again, it was no, it's not it's no fault of his own. But it was like Reed Travis is going to be like a top three to five transfer in college basketball. I don't know if he was that, but I think that Sheboy, how he could translate to Kentucky next season. He's got a good chance at being that top five to ten level transfer, particularly if Coburn doesn't come. But even if he does, I still think he's got a good shot there. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Right about Travis, the way he turned out turned out at UK. Yeah, the Coburn situation will be <laughs> very interesting. I mean, obviously with Kentucky with Orlando Antigua and Chen Coleman, Illinois assistants now on the staff at UK, and Antigua I think played a big role in. Uh, Kofi going to Illinois in the first place. With so you know, we'll just have to see how that how that uh, plays out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, my next question has something kind of has something to do with another guy that UK is recruiting in uh, Jalen Duran, and that's the NIL. Uh, what kind of effect do you think that's going to have on college recruiting? And in a case like Duran, where he's he has said that he is considering the G League, he's considering maybe playing in Australia. Is is the NIL a factor now in, in recruitment on somebody like that? A kid who are we going to see kids maybe who would be going to the G League, following the example of the other kids before, that they might instead choose college basketball because of the NIL? I'll tell you what, 
Jalen Duran's situation is really one to monitor because he is now, and it's also Imani Bates to a certain extent as well, obviously, and Bates was forever the number one player in the class, and now Duran's considered that at least by 247 Sports. But, man, I'd love to know what kind of pitches are being made his way, both from the college angle, but also if you're the G League and if you are uh, the NBL over in Australia, because... It, I, a lot of it just depends on what you want to get out of this experience because he's obviously going to be a one-and-done player no matter which way he goes. But the G League, okay, Jalen Green was a top-three player in his class, and that's going to translate to him being a top-five pick, probably a top-three pick. It didn't do anything to hurt his particular stock. There were other players that went the G League route that didn't improve their stock by going to the G League. It, if anything, you know, maybe it, it hurt it uh, to a certain extent. By going overseas, who's the other comparison? Okay, you had Lamelo Ball considered a top three prospect in his class. These are not the same kind of players, of course, as Jalen Duran. But Lamelo Ball goes over. He does that. He even gets injured. Doesn't play a ton. Lamella Ball gets he's top three pick, and now look what he's been able to do once he's made it to uh, the league there. So if you're Jalen Duran, you're taking recent examples of other players who play a different kind of style than you, but they didn't go to college and their stack their stock wasn't hurt. But when they did this, they did not have the opportunities that you have in front of yourself right now. If you are willing and wanting to be a college basketball player, to have Essentially, 95% of your games on CBS, ESPN, or ESPN2. Okay, right. be that out. You know, be that in the forefront of the college basketball landscape. BMOC, huge star, and I've got to believe. And this is complete guess. I have actually not done any. Have not made any calls or texts on this yet? But I've got to believe that if you're Jalen Duren and his family, that Kentucky is lining up pitches to you to say, listen, you can come here, and if it me- if making money at this age, if that actually means something to you, if it is something you want to capitalize off of, there's basically no reason why you cannot make $700,000, $800,000 while you're playing in college, because he will be a huge name. There is so much marketing value tied to him. Like The average college basketball fan does not know who he is yet, but... Uh, first of all, if he reclasses, and by the time he gets on campus, whenever that is, there will be so much hype around him, not just because, he, let's say, he picks Kentucky, because he goes to Kentucky. Uh, it, th- that alone means millions of people that follow Kentucky know who you are. And then you have NBA projections, top one, top two, top three pick. That will bring so many opportunities that I do think the NIL – Without getting into all the other stuff attached to it, and trust me, that, as you well know, that's like an endless conversation. I do think that Kentucky is so – I won't say uniquely positioned because it's not. And there are other schools that are similar to Kentucky, but obviously Kentucky's fan base I would say is, is just the most passionate in the sport. That if you are weighing G League overseas to college, if, if, if the pressure doesn't bother you, then – if the pressure doesn't bother you and you can make north of 500K, anyone can decide what they want to do. But I just don't see why you wouldn't pick college at that point because you are getting total exposure, world access to just like world-class training, coaching at that at that age, at that level. It will be it will be intriguing. I still think – I feel like the vibe on Duran is slightly not college over college. But I'm, I'm almost like come back to me in a month here. Like during this yeah. ever-critical month of July – 
when you know Cal and that staff are going to be putting on such a press on him in, in, in an impressive way behind the scenes, man, if he gets told that he can legitimately, and, and they believe it and it's real, like you can make 750 north of that playing one and done at Kentucky. I, that's just really hard to pass up there. So I'm, I'm seeing a realistic potential future where he winds up picking college instead of going over pro, which is the lean right now among some who, you know, who look at the recruits and try and figure out where they're going to be headed. Right now you're right. And I think, uh, like you say, I mean, the opportunity to make that kind of money plus get your brand out there because that's the point you made about being on TV all the time. That's the point Cal has made, uh, about he brought up Cade Cunningham, a guy who Kentucky tried to get but couldn't get, and played at Oklahoma State, which is not a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kentucky, but still he was recognized as the top player in college basketball, the guy who's going to be the number one pick. And college basketball fans at least know who he is. They've seen him play because he was on ESPN in the NCAA tournament. And when his name is called first at the NBA draft, they'll know who he is. And that means something to mm-hmm. To um, whether it's Nike or Adidas or apparel companies or whoever, he's already got his brand out there where kids in the G League, they don't get that kind of exposure. Absolutely. And I think Cade, real quick on Cade, he's such a great example where <laughs> in a wild way, yeah, Cal, as he, he could so easily do, he said, listen, I wanted him. I really wanted him. We couldn't get him. Uh, his brother was on staff at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, you know, hadn't been to a Final Four in 15 years or whatever. It's it's not a it's not a historically top 20, maybe not top 25 all time program. And yet, Cade Cunningham, who didn't even make the Sweet 16, right. is almost certainly you know going to go number one in the draft and is such a, a household name here. Just think about what you can do at Kentucky, and it's that stuff is real, man. It yeah. just. It, it just is. And I, I, sometimes I like to pluck, you know, kind of real world examples out of my own life. Like I've got some buddies who, all right, once the NFL playoffs, like once they're down to like four teams or so, they're just more prone. They're just more prone to check in on college basketball on like a Monday night or a Thursday night. They're, they're, they're not going to do it during, you know, the first week of December. They're just less likely to, I guess I say. And these guys, they know, like my buddies know, Jalen Suggs, Kate Cunningham, like they're interested to see where they go. They don't know who on earth Jalen Green is. Right. They have no idea who Jalen Green is. <laughs> and so if that kind of stuff, Matt, now they'll know who Jalen Green is in two years if Jalen Green does what's expected of him, walks in the league and is averaging 22 a game by the end of his second season. They'll know him then, sure. But if, if this kind of stuff matters to you, marketability and exposure, then it's not even, I mean, it's just not even close. And I don't know if it ever will be close, especially when you talk playing at a blue blood uh, kind of program, you know, those select six, seven, eight programs in the country, then yeah, it's a a real recruiting tool. And then real quick on this, I actually wrote about this. Once Mike Krzyzewski's uh, retirement tour became known, I actually took the time and instead of writing about Kay, I wrote about Cal because I do think that he is positioned both because Kay is now outgoing. Cal's won a national championship, obviously made these final fours, coaching at Kentucky. I don't know if he's going to be the face of college basketball. He may be or maybe not, but he will be the voice, whether he wants to or not. He is just going to have the most predominant voice. There's plenty of really, really good, famous Hall of Fame coaches still out there. I get that. Tom Izzo, Bill Self, no question about it. But it will be Cal, and when you use that combined with the NIL – I do think that Kentucky is positioned here. They are positioned well 
to return to prominence atop the recruiting rankings. Kentucky doesn't have the number one class in the country right now, but I think that we could look up in a year's time, five years' time, if Cal wants to stay there for the next half decade and see that Kentucky will have returned, you know, three out of five years, four out of five years, number one atop the recruiting rankings because of the branding there, Cal and the staff's recruiting ability. There's a really Really good window to open here, I think, for him. And you got to win the games. It's really, really tough. But uh, I do think that his chances of getting to uh, a second uh, national championship, I, th- I think they're improved by what's happened with the NIL just because if Cal goes after it the way he does, like no one's going to capitalize off it more than him. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would agree. I would tend to agree. Uh, a couple things before I let you go, man. Uh, I know it's early. We don't know where, Co- as we talked about, where Coburn's going. We don't know where Marcus Carr's going. There's some other guys out there we don't know in the portal, some na- uh, good names. We don't know where they're going. But right now, who's number one for next year? Who's the, Who are the top two or three teams you think uh, heading into the 21-22 season? I will go – I have to go Gonzaga 1, um, and I would hope that the uh, Kentucky fan base is certainly uh, just <laughs> – I hope they, they – I don't feel like Kentucky uh, fans would, would shrug off Gonzaga the way that some some people still tend to do, which is just absolute folly to me. If you actually look at Gonzaga's record against – call it top 50 opponents. They're, they've been just about as successful as any program in America over the past decade there. Um, so I say that to say, like, just because Gonzaga got just blown out in the title game, uh, it still was 31-1, and and by every single objective metric over the course of the entire season, Gonzaga was the best team in America last season. I think they will be the best team in America this upcoming season as well because they're going to have the best front court, and they'll have Drew Timmy, um, who's probably going to be my pick for preseason national player of the year. And then again, Chet, Chet Holmgren is just coming in. Uh, he could be a top three pick in next year's NBA draft. Uh, you combine that with um, guys coming back off the uh, championship team, notably Andrew Nembhard, and they've got a really good Hunter Salas, really good point guard coming in. I would put Gonzaga one. With Johnny Juzang back at UCLA, I don't know if I'd have him two, but I would have UCLA in that top five. We wait and see on Marcus Carr. He was considering Kansas, but I actually don't think Kansas is going to have, unless something changes, I don't think Kansas will have a roster spot for him. But I do, I'm surprised by how much I like Kansas's roster next season. I would have them in the top five uh, as well. And then, you know, I was looking at this earlier today. We have to wait and see on some of these decisions, but I'll just rattle off a few more. Sure. Purdue. Purdue is <laughs> Purdue's probably gonna have three of the top twenty-five players in the country. I think they're gonna be in the mix there. Michigan, very trendy, understandably so. They'll be in there. And then Texas. Whew. I mean, Texas is pretty it's pretty loaded. So that would be an initial group of contenders for final four status. I won't like a national champion. I'm not gonna toss Baylor totally to the side as well, but they obviously are losing some important pieces. We'll have to wait and see on that. And then Villanova. Kentucky will be in there. I, I think I again I haven't started to really list it out, but broadly, um I love Mintz returning. I felt that was happening the whole while. Toppin could have a nice breakout year. I, I if you tell me they have Coburn, I'm telling you I'm putting Kentucky preseason top five. If you tell me they don't, 
I think I am going to have him somewhere in like the 12 to 15 range, somewhere along those lines, I think. Yeah. It sounds it sounds about right. It sounds reasonable. It'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting with so many new players on on these teams. You know, uh, it may look a lot different in January than it looks uh, beginning of November when teams start to mesh together. Who what chemistry works and what chemistry you know doesn't work for these teams. Um, one more thing before I let you go. I know you are a music guy. Uh, I understand. I know you have a podcast. I believe you have a website as well. Uh, Plug, plug those. Tell people where they can find those, and, and when they when they find them, what will they find there? Okay, I am a music dude. I am a music dude. Today is actually as we record this. It's the it's the uh, it's the fiftieth anniversary of, of, in my opinion, one of the uh, one of the best records of the seventies, and that is Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. If you are unfamiliar with Maggot Brain by Funkadelic, please go find it. It is just genre shifting psychedelic funk rock it's fantastic anyway uh yeah i do host a, a personal passion project called the records and Riff, riffs podcast which i'm so overdue to doing a few more episodes but it's uh it's been, i have two young children so i do it whenever i feel inspired <laughs> I, you, and I, I remember those yeah. days <laughs> exactly so i well it's funny i actually just real quick on that i started it I, I literally started it like five years ago before I had my first child. And then, so I did like 12 episodes and once or whatever. And then I became a father. And I was like, oh, I don't have time to do any of this because I have to do, you know, my job in addition to uh, being a daddy. But anyway, uh, yeah. And then I just occasionally, uh, so that's called Records and Riffs. And then uh, my personal website, mattnorlander.com has way too much Dave Matthews band information if you are so inclined to uh, to seek that out. But yes, I'm a, I'm a music dude and occasionally tweet about such matters on the tweet machine so if you uh if you are so inclined i'm at matt norlander and uh i appreciate the opportunity but by no means was needing or expecting any such plugs but <laughs> it is the summer i am looking for and i'm also i'm, I'm also i didn't ask for this but i kind of did unintentionally i'm also the dude known to have the guster sticker on my laptop at the final four guster's an awesome band that's been around for 30 years out of boston so uh if you're unfamiliar with guster be sure to seek them out. They are they are terrific. But uh, but yes, I I'm very eager to get back into going to concerts, and I hope to do that very soon over the next few months as the summer is here, and we are uh, we are returning to normal. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, here in Lexington, Keeneland, the racetrack, they have a music festival, the Railbird Festival. It's actually uh, this year will be the second one. It was supposed to be the second one last year, but it was canceled because of COVID. But uh, Dave Matthews Band is one of the headliners, uh, along with Jason Isbell for the uh, Railbird Festival. So uh, people, I am quite aware of this. Yes, I am. I am aware that they are that they are playing there, and uh, and that's that's a that's a that's a really good uh, really good one too. So yeah, Isbell, yeah. obviously, Isbell. By the way, as you as you may know, he has become the next generation's Bruce Springsteen. Yes, I like, know that. <laughs> it's, I, I actually have. I'm sure someone has brought this up to him, and if not, a, a, obviously, like in tweet form. But I'm wondering if anyone's brought it up to him in like an official interview capacity and <laughs> and his feeling on that. Uh, because I mean, it's fine, but it's it's actually reaching. It's reaching a point of, of where it might be a little bit embarrassing to the profession. So I wonder. I hope I hope the man's okay with it. But yes, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, I don't know whether you want that as an honor or not. But uh, yeah, exactly. We'll see. Yeah. We'll, see. well, Matt, uh, tell people where they can find you on Twitter, and uh, obviously they can find you at cbssports.com. But uh, tell them how they can check out your work. I am I am at Matt Norlander. Uh, you follow me at your own risk, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate. 
regardless, I just appreciate the opportunity, John, for uh, for having me on. And I hope we get to cross paths soon enough uh, in, in a matter of a few months here. Champions Classic. That's right. Madison Square Garden, opening night of the season. Let's get it on. Absolutely. I hope we're all there. Thanks again, Matt. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Matt Norlander of CBSSports.com of being on the podcast. Be sure and follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Norlander, M-A-T-T-N-O-R-L-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, check out all of his work at CBSSports.com. I want to thank everybody for listening and remind everybody you can get a sports-only digital subscription to Kentucky.com. Uh, go to my Twitter feed, you can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV at the top uh, of the Twitter feed pin tweet has all the information about the sports pass digital su- subscription to Kentucky.com. You get all of our UK basketball, UK football, UK recruiting, high schools, horse racing columns. You get it all $30 for the first year or just go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription tab, and check out all of our offers for digital subscriptions to Kentucky.com or print subscriptions to the Lexington Herald Leader. Uh, Also want to remind you, you can find this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Uh, Subscribe, leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. That just helps get the word out. We appreciate everybody who has done that. We, like I said, we appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. We appreciate Matt Norlander for being on the podcast. So thanks, to, thanks again, and we'll be talking to you again soon.